Hello there, it's me, Josh, and for this week's SYSK Selects, I've chosen our episode, Was There a Real Atlantis? And it turns out there very well may have been. At the very least, there's a very exciting lost city that archaeologists found that, well, it may have been the model for the Atlantis legend. I don't want to ruin anything. I don't want to spoil anything. So just kick back and enjoy this adventure episode. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark, back in the saddle again with Charles W. Chuck Bryant. We share a horse. We do. (laughs) I have a horse sidecar, actually. It's a small mule that's attached to your horse. Yeah. And I have to lean into the corners. It's more of a hay cart than a sidecar. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, back in the saddle, meaning we are back from Texas and back in the recording booth for the first time in, what, two weeks? Yeah, it feels nice, dude. To it's be back so in nice. this smelly little dimly lit room. Yeah, it's strangely. Yeah. At least it's not like blood colored, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Man. That'd be weird. Um, so, Chuck. Yes. I guess we should get started, huh? You don't have an intro? Well, I, I mean, I was going to use the intro as the intro. <laughs> Go ahead, then. Have you, uh, have you ever heard of a place called Atlantis? I have. Are you, you read, like, the Bermuda you mean the, Triangle The books. vacation getaway? No, where, oh. like, Britney Spears stayed for free for, like, a month when they opened to try to generate buzz. Wow. I'm sure they were packing them in after that. I think they have been. I don't know. I can't... I can't discuss the financial estate of Atlantis, the resort in the Bahamas. But what I can discuss is Atlantis, the possibly fictitious place. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and go on record as fictitious. Are you? Well, after reading this, and by the way, this was awesome. I had no idea about the secret surprise that's coming. Which one? Well, the the other place, the real place. Oh, oh, gotcha. Okay. Which I meant to ask you before how we pronounce that, but we'll just get to that and I'll let you say it first. Okay. But uh, yeah, I'm I'm gonna say it's fictitious and based on that. Okay, I think I I kind of go with that too. Yeah. Mainly because one of the things about Plato is uh, he was the only person to ever mention Atlantis. Plenty of people have mentioned it True. after him. Yeah. But it was based on what he said. Right. Which kind of makes you think like, oh, okay, is this, um, this is an allegory, probably. It's about wickedness. Yeah, what was his book in, uh, T- Timaeus? Yeah. That was the book. Right. Where he first mentioned it. Yeah. And it, it was written in 360 BC, and uh, Timaeus is one of his dialogues, I believe. And uh, Plato has a thing where he likes to take real places, real people, real events, mm-hmm. and then just kind of... Use some literary license. Sure. He's a philosopher, okay? Yeah, he was, he was not uh, a documentarian of real things. Right. Um, but along the way, somewhere, that idea got lost, right? Right. So, for example, Sodom and Gomorrah. I, I would wager that a lot of people think that Sodom and Gomorrah... I love those guys. ...something really happened, and that um, it was... Uh, it was taken eventually. It was used as allegory that these people were punished by God. Right. Um, but really, 
you know, something really bad happened to him and somebody decided, hey, this is a great, great chance to use this as a life lesson for everyone. Yeah. So there's a really strong possibility that Plato did the same thing because as he describes Atlantis, um, they they had gotten kind of uh, hubristic, I guess. It does mimic uh, other things in the Bible, that's for sure. It does. And um, the great god Poseidon, who is the god of the sea and of earthquakes, uh, decided that he was kind of tired of the, the, the people of Atlantis, yeah. which was the seat of a cult that worshipped him, right? Yeah. So he, using the techniques at hand, sent he, cre- he's, he, I guess, created an earthquake that generated a tsunami that sunk Atlantis beneath the waves, lost forever. Yeah, I think the quote from the book was, it uh, sank into the sea in a single day and night of misfortune. Yeah. That's putting it lightly. So, And he placed it too, didn't he? Actually, yeah. It's, uh, where? Off Spain? The Pillars of Hercules, which is now called the Strait of Gibraltar. And there's people looking in Spain now, right? Yeah, they like still think legitimate it's, right? bona fide <laughs> archaeologists. They're fun. Yeah. <laughs> so um, so Plato, I guess part of the problem is he's he's saying like, yes, this, this was at the Strait of Gibraltar. Right. In his parlance... At the time, he's saying, is that the Strait of Gibraltar, the problem is, is that Atlantis was this magnificent ring city. Yeah. Um, and it had, like, fantastic technology and architecture. Yeah. And it was just an amazingly advanced place. But he also says that this, this happened 9,000 years ago, right? Right, so... 9,000 years before him. So they were aliens. Well, that was... That is thanks to a guy named Ignatius Donnelly. Yeah. So this guy, so Plato writes about Atlantis, goes about his business, right? Dies. Well, and apparently nobody back then took it seriously. It don't, that's like modern man were the first people to say, ooh, maybe there was an Atlantis. Yeah. Back was, in the day, everyone was like, nah, it's it, just Plato going off again. Right. It was this one guy, Ignatius Donnelly. Oh, he's the you one. You can lay it all at his feet. Jerk. Because in 1882, he published a book called Atlantis, the Antediluvian World. And in it, he's saying, okay, the uh, Azores, the Azores, man, I wish I'd looked that one up. <laughs> I think that's right. Um, the islands in the middle of the Atlantic, that's actually the highest peaks of the highest mountaintops of Atlantis. Yeah. And wait, there's more. Uh, the incredibly advanced civilizations in Egypt mm-hmm. and high up in the Andes of Peru, yeah. pre-Inca. Um, those were colonies set forth by Atlantis that survived because they weren't there for the sinking of Atlantis. So basically, um, we have civilization to thank. We have Atlantis to thank for civilization. The problem is all of this is totally unfounded, but it just kicked off the um, occultization of Atlantis. Yeah, it's been placed everywhere from uh, South China Sea, the Caribbean, the Pacific, the Indian Ocean. The Canary Islands, Antarctica, supposedly. Switzerland? Oh, really? Yeah, I didn't chase that one down, but I saw somewhere that somebody said Switzerland. Let's go I ahead mean, and say everywhere. Yeah, everywhere. Atlantis is everywhere. There's um, Edgar Casey, who is known as the sleeping prophet of Virginia Beach, who's a psychic. He, um, he said that Atlantis stretched from the Gulf of Mexico to Spain. Yeah. And that the Bermuda Triangle... There were a lot of, you know, if there is mystery in the Bermuda Triangle, it's due to Atlantis's energy crystals. I will say, though, it, he said it would rise off uh, Bimini. And then when they discovered the Bimini Road, everyone was like, see there? Yeah. And then it's too bad Cherry's not here because she's like, I dove the Bimini Road. <laughs> yeah, guest producer Maddie is in the house. Hey, Matt. We didn't mention that. Um, so, 
once Donnelly comes along and kind of takes up the mantle of searching for Atlantis and making it as far out as possible, it just becomes more and more the domain of like fringe dwellers, right? Sure. But that is not to say that there aren't legitimate archaeologists searching for something like Atlantis. That that doesn't mean that there isn't something that inspired Plato. Right. And we probably know what that is, actually. That's where my money is. Yeah. And now you're going to make me say it, even though I asked you to say it. Hiliki? Haliki. Hiliki. Haliki. Haliki. Yeah. Okay. Haliki. Spelled he-like. Yeah. Um, I saw some weird pronunciation things that I didn't understand when I looked it up. Yeah. So I just figured I'd hear it from you. That was Greek to you. It was, (laughs) indeed. Um, so yeah, the cat's out of the bag, as far as I'm concerned. It is Hiliki. Well done. Case closed. End of podcast. <laughs> uh, it was a super interesting story, though. Um, this was well documented by lots of people, not not like a single source like Plato. Single made-up source. Exactly. And it was a lost Greek city. It suffered a fate, much like uh, Atlantis supposedly did. Yeah. So uh, Hiliki was this um, very powerful city in uh, ancient Greece on the Gulf Corinth. Um, Very nice in that area. Yeah, yeah, I imagine. Have you been? No. I want to go. I do too. Um, it was powerful enough to have its own colonies. So imagine if Atlanta had colonies in like Germany. This right. is very much the, the case for Haliki. And it was the seat of power for a 12-city league called the Achaean League, which is kind of like the Confederacy in the South. Yeah. Would that be like having a bar in a different city that's like your home bar? Like, you know, they have like, it's usually football-based. There's like a New York Jets bar oh, in Atlanta. You, yeah. yeah, maybe. There's a Pittsburgh Steelers bar in Atlanta. Maybe. Is that the same thing? I thought it was more like the capital of like a, a number of states. Oh, okay. But I don't think it's the same thing, but I, I like that <laughs> analogy. I'm just being coy. Um, so the the Achaean League, now I've just realized that I've missed something. No, that's right. joke. Yeah. So the the uh, Haliki is the city or the center of uh, the Achaean League. It controlled like uh, the shipping yeah. around there. And by the time Plato came about, it was hundreds of years old already. Yeah, very active port. They had their own coinage. Yeah, yeah, and and it looked very cool too. I looked up the coins. Yeah, like dolphins and uh, Poseidon and yeah, uh, pitch or not pitchforks. What do they call the uh, tridents? Tridents. Yeah. And it was it had Poseidon on the coin because this was like the seat of uh, a cult of Poseidon. Yeah, just like Atlantis. Exactly. And um, it was uh, it had a very prominent, well known statue of Poseidon, just like Atlantis. Right. That's right. So the similarities are, are starting to mount up. They are, and uh, they really mount in a big way uh, in December of three seventy three BC. Uh, when the townspeople started noticing, wait a minute, all these small animals are scurrying for the hills. Yeah. And that's never a good sign because no. we did talk about in another podcast how animals can sense underground tremors. It uh, had to have been in how earthquakes work. Yeah, I think that's what it was. Yeah. And sure enough, earthquake came in the middle of the night on the fifth day. 
And uh, that was followed by an enormous wave. And just like that overnight, just like Atlantis, it was submerged. Yeah. To the bottom of the sea. Well, not the bottom, but. No. And not necessarily the sea either, (laughs) as we'll see in a second. Yes, this is getting more mysterious. So so this really happened. This is pretty, uh, it was a pretty well-known event. Um, One of the. Uh, there were, I guess we should say there were no survivors. Like people from the surrounding cities uh, got together like a, um, a search party, yeah, a rescue party um, that set out at dawn just a few hours after this happened. In a boat, and I guess. There was, well, I think they got, they walked as far as they could and were like, oh, yeah. well, there's now like a sea where there used to be this, this um, city. Yeah. It's gone. There was no one there. Apparently the only thing visible were the tops of um, the trees in Poseidon's sacred grove. That's creepy. I would guess olive trees. Yeah. Uh, And there were uh, 10 ships, and this will come up later too, from Sparta that were uh, docked there in the port, and they were gone as well. Just gone. And that will play an important part here coming up soon. Yeah. So um, imagine, like, there's a city. It's a very powerful, rich city, and you live out in the boondocks, and you just know something happened, there's an earthquake, so you go to check on the city, and then the city's gone, and it's just silence, and there's 10 ships that aren't there anymore. Everything's yeah. just gone. Creepy. What was even creepier, though, is you could look down into the city underwater and see it all there still. Yeah, including the statue of Poseidon, which apparently still stood erect and in place. All right, and uh, local fishermen and ferrymen um, reported having their nets get caught in Poseidon's statue all the time, which is kind Crazy. of ironic. Yeah. But um, so you could see Haliki for hundreds of years, which is one of the reasons why it's so well documented. Yeah. Because there were, it was kind of like, have you heard of Thanatourism, dark uh, tourism or death tourism? Yeah, yeah. So um, it was kind of like an early version of a right. dark tourism site. Like, come, come visit see. this mass cemetery. Yeah, exactly. Um, and you could go check it out, and travelers and writers and scholars did, and they documented what they saw. Um, pretty, pretty um, specifically too. Yeah. Like in Stadia, they said, "Well, here's the. This is where the city is now. This is where it was in relation to you know this river or that river." Right. So like the sources are pretty, pretty abundant and they're pretty specific. Speaking of abundant, yeah, and rivers, yeah, and sources. Okay, look at you. Uh, that area was was. Uh, unique in that it had these uh, three rivers that met there, uh, <clears throat> bringing fresh water in. So you got some good fresh water. Right. You got some good seawater with tons of good seafood. Uh, you got very rich uh, land for crops. We got irrigation because we got the fresh water. Mm-hmm. The weather's gorgeous. So it's right here on on the lovely seaside, and that's what made it an un- ideal spot for people to say, "Hey, maybe we should settle down here." Yeah, let's hang out here for a while and get fat on shrimp. Unfortunately, it's also a bad spot because there are two fault lines that run parallel through the area, and uh, they have been known to cause some major disruption over the years. Like the earthquake that destroyed Haliki. Exactly. And generated the tsunami. So it's it's kind of like this whole place is like made to produce a lost city, right? Yeah. Because there's other places around the world um, where there's violent tectonic activity and it's coastal so that means that it's in danger of a tsunami well california not with a tsunami i don't think japan yeah um the uh, malaysian tsunami in 2004 um yeah there's a lot of places but 
to produce a so that that will ruin a coastal city, right? Yes. But for it to become lost, it has to be covered up somehow. And Haliki is in a really unique situation for this because of those three rivers that form the Haliki Delta, yeah. where Haliki was situated, right? Mm-hmm. So you've got the earthquake, you've got the tsunami. So you have a ruined city. Yeah. It's now submerged. And then these three rivers bring a lot of silt to the area. And so eventually, Haliki was covered up over over the centuries. Yeah, you put it in the article about how if you bought a house, or not bought a house, let's say built a house along the shore in 1890, it would be a 1,000 feet inland, yeah. which I imagine is quite a rub for people right. that build that lovely house right on the water. Yeah. Because within a century or so, it's going to be a couple of streets back. And there's like 10 jerks in front of you that have built houses. Exactly. And it's kind of like, uh, what's that game where you like leapfrog? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I thought you were going to say Monopoly, (laughs) where you build bigger houses than the other guy. Oh, yeah. That would have worked too. Yeah, sure. Um, So you've got the tsunamis. You've got the river. You've got the... um, The silt. The silt. You also have... um, the delta itself, because of this violent activity, um, is moving up. They're finding, yeah, over time, it's it's rising. So you have a rising delta, which is low. It's like right at sea level, yeah, but it's it's getting bigger, and silt is piling it up and making dry ground even further jut out into the coast. Well, what it made was a nice little surprise for archaeologists, right? And I imagine archaeologists just went berserk with this place. Yeah, they had no idea. They just thought Haliki itself was there. They knew it was there. Yeah. And that, they suspected it would be kind of like a Pompeii. Sure. But even more, um, they they considered it even more vital to archaeology or the archaeological record than Pompeii even. Uh, Well, what they found, though, as you know, Josh, but we're going to spring it on you now, is six other distinct occupied horizons— Besides six other ones or seven total? Six total. Six total. Mm -hmm. Five others besides Haliki. Yeah. Underneath one on top of the other that had been settled and civilized and wiped out and covered up. And like just kind of captured in time. That is crazy. Yeah. Which one? What were they? So there was uh, one from the Byzantine period, which was pretty long. I think it ran from like 200 AD to the 15th century. Yeah. and then beneath that, there is uh, a Roman ruin, yeah, which is from the second to the fourth A.D. And that one even features a Roman road, oh yeah, which is the road that travelers and writers used to come look at Haliki, right. the ruins. Um, and that one also, Chuck, I, I, this just blows my mind. It's so captured in time that there's a human skeleton atop a like a cattle skull that like it was knocked on top of this beast and killed like by rock and rubble wow. and just kept there. So their skeletons are intertwined now. Crazy. Isn't that nuts? So the Roman city's on top of uh, Haliki. Mm-hmm. Then beneath Haliki, uh, they found even more stuff. They found a settlement from the Bronze Age, yeah, 2600 to 2300 BC. Right. And before that, <laughs> they kept digging and found uh, prehistoric Neolithic period civilization Possibly as old as 12,000 years. Yeah. I wonder if there's something beneath that even. I don't know. This makes me think they should start digging in Los Angeles or other like seaside retreats. Yeah. To see what you could find. Well, there's a whole, um, there's this whole idea, especially among 
Atlantis hunters that it's extremely intuitive because of rising sea levels that anything that was established around the last ice age or even at about the end of it, yeah. the sea levels have risen like more than 100 feet since then. Yeah. So any coastal cities now underwater. Right. That's like a big, a big thing that they hunt for now or that archaeologists are kind of starting to try to get into is um, looking for human habitation underwater. Wow. Like there's this whole area off of Wales, I think, Northern Wales, mm -hmm. Northern Ireland maybe, um, or Scotland. Anyway, it's called Doggerland, <laughs> and it's like just this submerged area that used to be above ground, and they're, they're, they're finding like Neolithic settlements there. Wow. Isn't that cool? Well, and, you know, the earth has changed so much over the course of its existence that what's here didn't used to be here, and what was there was something else, and... Yeah. So yeah, I think it's there's no telling what's down there. But that that idea and the the fact that you can find Neolithic settlements underwater supports, ironically, the notion that there could be something like Atlantis that, yeah. that's lost somewhere, like Hiliki. Right. <laughs> So yeah, so these guys they found this this um, area, and once they found Haliki, it all started to they just it was like jackpot, jackpot, jackpot. But finding Haliki itself um, proved a little more difficult than they thought, especially considering all the documentation they had. Yeah, they knew supposedly knew where it was, quote unquote. Right. Like it's not like they were searching for a needle in a haystack. Right. They were searching for like a like a pool cue in a haystack. Okay. You know? Sure. Uh, so in the late 80s, uh, a couple of Cornell professors started looking for it for realsies. And uh, they had a little bit of misinterpretation um, for the word, uh, for the translation for body of water. And lucky enough, they had a Greek woman with them. Well, she's one of the Cornell professors. Oh, she was? Yeah. Oh, well, then lucky that she was Greek. Well, yeah. Because she translated, she was like, wait a minute. She's like, it may not be in the Gulf after all. It may be inland. Yeah. And they were like, what? Yeah, everybody had been thinking that this was the, the gulf had swallowed them up, swallowed up the city. Which but, would make sense. Right. It turns out it was an inland lagoon that did. So I think it was very much akin to the, you know, the Noah's Ark episode we just did? Yeah. Um, what is it? The Dead Sea, I think, where they think that the Dead Sea used to be freshwater. Right. Now it's saltwater. Right. Because... That's evidence of the flood happening. Right. And probably what they think is the um, Mediterranean overwhelmed the strait. I can't remember <laughs> what strait it was. You're searching the reaches. Yeah. Anyway, uh, I think it was much the same way. Like the city used to be around a lagoon and then the lagoon got a lot bigger, thus swallowing the city. Right. So they looked under land and all of a sudden they had to ditch their scuba gear for shovels. Mm -hmm. And they found the first Roman city, the first ruins. We're like, wait a minute, 12 feet, just 12 feet yeah. below the land, yeah. which doesn't seem like that far at all. No, it's not, because like, the Roman ruins were like four or five feet. Yeah, I would think that someone would have accidentally found it before that even, you know? 
Well, that kicked it off. There was a German archaeologist who was traveling in the area and found uh, a Haliki coin with Poseidon on it and oh. was like, holy cow, this is significant. Right. So I think that's kind of how it started. Gotcha. Yeah. So they found uh, have found a lot of stuff since then. Um, buildings, industrial buildings, uh, kilns, looms, uh, intersecting streets. Yeah, with buildings along these streets. Yeah, like a real city. Yeah. Uh, what else? The coins, of course. Um, jugs. Jugs with their original contents. And those are from the Bronze Age. Right. They found a storehouse of like jugs of different sizes and types from the Bronze Age. So we're talking like 5,000 years old. Crazy. They don't have any idea about these civilizations, but this was contemporary to like ancient Troy. Right. Which itself was considered a legendary city until uh, Heinrich Schliemann found it. Right. Um, so, uh, the, just finding this stuff is amazingly awesome. Well, and there's more. Yeah, there is. Supposedly. Yes. So, they think that they found the outskirts of Haliki and that they, there's a lot more left and that it's intact. Oh, they're not actually at Haliki yet? No, they're in Haliki, but they're not in the city center, they don't think. Oh, okay. I gotcha. Yeah. So, they're just out in the outskirts. That's what they think. Wow. Yeah. Um, and... When they were looking for Haliki out in the Gulf, they found something cool too, didn't they? Uh, I don't think I know this. You do know it. They found a seawall, an oh, ancient thought... seawall of the city. Oh, really? And they also found what they think are the 10 Spartan ships. Oh, yeah, that's right. I thought you were going to say the Statue of Poseidon. That would be like... Well, they'll find it eventually. The mother load, if they found that thing still standing upright under... Yeah. The earth. So they keep following. They started by following the Roman road. Right. So they're basically they're unearthing. Like imagine this, dude. They're unearthing like three lost cities at once. That's crazy. Isn't that insane? Do you know what like an archaeological treasure trove that is? Yeah. So they're unearthing them, and as long as they don't intersect, right? As long as like the Roman town isn't built directly over the statue of Poseidon, right? To where getting to Poseidon would undermine the Roman town. Yeah. Yeah. Um, then they should be able to get it all. And they're wow. going to be doing They'll excavate this for decades. So this has been ongoing since the late 80s? Yeah, well, no. So they really started uncovering stuff in like 2000. Wow. But they, they started in 1988. So awesome. Yeah. Very cool. So that's uh, Haliki. So, of course, Chuck, this doesn't mean that anybody has stopped searching for Atlantis. Like no. the, the archaeologist in Spain. Um, yeah, he's looking inland now, which... Mm -hmm. Comes from this theory, so maybe he's on to something. It's possible. He's going to start digging up uh, in Barcelona. Yeah. And people are going to say, what are you doing? Yeah. Drink some wine. So uh, you were saying that you think that Plato was inspired by Haliki. Sure. I think there's substantial evidence in what we've said. But also keep in mind, Haliki uh, happened in 373. Plato wrote his book in 360, 13 years later. And... He lived in the area. This yeah. is a pretty well-known catastrophe, so <laughs> yeah. I think you're probably right. But we, we would not have had the awesome TV show Man from Atlantis had it not been for Plato. No, I guess that's true. Did you watch that? No. That was a little before your time. And there's an awesome um, H.P. Lovecraft short story about a German U-boat that ends up in Atlantis. It's awesome. I tried to find YouTube stuff of Man from Atlantis. There's plenty out there. You know, you had the webbed hands when I was a kid. I thought, oh, that was really? The, yeah, you had webbed hands and feet. It's not Prince Nemo, is it? The Submariner? Prince Nemo? Nemo? No, Prince Nemo. Nemo. No. 
He's a Marvel comic guy. No, no, no. It was man. It was a schlocky. It ran for like one year. Was he like a detective? 70s. Was he? Yeah, his he was. Mom, he had super. Mom a car? <laughs> he had superhuman strength and uh, could breathe underwater. Had gills and he had webbed feet and hands. And um, I think like some government agency snapped him up to do like investigative undersea work for them. Oh, I know you're talking about. Welcome back, Cotter. <laughs> it was a dude from from Dallas, uh, Patrick. Uh, what's his face? Patrick Ewing. Patrick Duffy. <laughs> You're thinking J.R. Ewing? Yeah. Patrick Ewing is a basketball player. Right. Patrick Duffy, yeah. Yeah. That's him. Huh. It was good stuff. I have never heard of that show. Yeah. It was only around for one year, I think. But boy, I was into it when I was like seven. Good oh, stuff. Yeah, webbed hands. Yeah, it got me into Play-Doh. Play-Doh. You hadn't been eating it for years now? <laughs> Funny guy. All right, so that's it. You got anything else? I got nothing else. Thank you for doing this one with me. Uh, it was awesome. Nice. Thank you for opening my eyes to... Hey. Uh, coolness anytime uh if you want to know more about haliki you should search for was there a real atlantis by typing that into the search bar at howstuffworks.com and i said that which means it's time for listener mail that's right uh josh remember when we did a little tv pilot recently um we tried to get these bookends onto the show Mm -hmm. they arrived a little late we weren't able to but I want to tell everyone about this project because that sounds very cryptic. Uh, This is from Mike. Hey, guys. I've been a big fan for a couple of years, um, and I especially like that some of your causes you have taken on uh, and considered and done podcasts about them, Uh, Kiva and the Cooperative for Education in particular. So our Guatemala podcast gave him an idea for a Facebook fundraising idea uh, to raise awareness for Co-op, our buddies, Cooperative for Education. Co-op. Out of Cincinnati, right. who do the awesome textbook programs and uh, computer center labs in Guatemala. And he proposed it to them, and they said, heck yeah, let's do this. So his idea was uh, to create, quote-unquote, celebrity bookends with just this basic idea. Take an ordinary set of bookends, although they are pretty fancy looking, right. i got to admit, uh, and make them super famous uh, pop culture icons through social media, and then sell them for a million bucks and give it all to co-ed. So that's the plan. It's a good plan. I don't know if we added anything to that. We added at least 70 cents. Okay, good. Um, He says, I know it sounds crazy, but uh, crazy is usually what it takes to get people to notice things. The rational thinking behind this is that to get famous, all you need to have are a ton of people believing that you're famous. You know? Yeah. I mean, what else is celebrity? Yeah, exactly. Uh, so they're trying to drum up celebrity for these bookends to raise awareness. Right. Uh, they have sent them around the world uh, to meet people and to be on uh, TV shows and in movies. Uh, they're documenting this on Facebook, the travels of these bookends, uh, and Twitter and blogs for people to follow. And our big, audacious goal is to get as many Facebook fans as Kim Kardashian. She has 9 million fans. Can you believe that? Sadly, yes. Wow. Uh, so what we're hoping for your listeners is that they will like the idea enough to want to help. Uh, all you have to do, it can be as simple as going to the Facebook page, uh, follow you on Twitter, uh, the celebrity bookings that is, uh, tweet about us, blog about us, tell your friends to like us, and hook us up with any celebrity friends that you might have. Um, they have been in the hands of Danny DeVito. Yes. Uh, Matt Berninger of The National. Right. I didn't know how to pronounce that, but I do love The National. And I believe I saw Jeff Bridges holding these things. Did you really? Yeah. 
Wow. And Is that then, before us? Yeah. Sweet. So we actually got a little DeVito Bridges stank on our hands. Yeah. Unless they clean these things. And they sent it to us originally to get it in uh, our cubicles on the TV pilot, but they arrived a little late and we weren't able to. So we just did some pictures and maybe on down the road, if we do any more TV stuff, we can get them on television yeah. and do our part to help raise awareness. Nice, man. So, uh, facebook.com slash celebrity bookends or Twitter at celebrity bookends or send an email to celebrity bookends at Gmail. And that raises awareness to eventually sell these things to Danny DeVito to That's raise nice. money for co-ed. For a million bucks. Well, I certainly don't have a million bucks. Well, we also have our own uh, Twitter handle and uh, you can get in touch with us too while you're talking to Celebrity Bookends. You can tweet to us, whatever you want. There's no rules, uh, except that it has to be 140 characters or less, just sure. that rule. Um, that's S-Y-S-K Podcast. We're also on Facebook at facebook.com slash stuff you should know. And you can send us an email as well at stuffpodcast.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. 